passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting here on this Wednesday, June the 17th, slash June 18th, slash maybe October 14th, whenever you're listening to this. Hello. That's really specific. Oddly specific. Um, well, you never know when people might be um, behind on listening and they're going to catch up in the fall. And uh, go back, and this will be the episode that they choose to listen to. This there, this behind, like some people, four I mean, months behind. Is, you know, wrestling doesn't really operate in seasons, so you got to create your own. And sometimes people are just going to create their own breaks. Um. Well, hello to you from the future. If you're listening to this, I'd I'd be really curious to know what made you decide to listen to a four month old edition of a. Uh, you know, these reviews, obviously, we put a great amount of effort into every single one of them. But I do consider them somewhat disposable because they are so, like, about the specific period that we are talking about. Like, unlike a Rewind Away where, you know, they're, they're, they're a bit more evergreen, you know, because we are already talking about something old. These week-to-week shows, uh, are there people that go back and, and, like, watch them and then listen to podcasts about them afterwards? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely curious. I'm sure there might be one or two. I look at these as uh, – these are like diary entries, Way We're documenting history multiple times a week so we can go back and say, what was what was happening back uh, – can you imagine like to go back to one of these shows from November and – Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, oh, what did you do today? Oh, I went to a hockey game. I then went out for drinks with my friends and saw people and we made physical contact <laughs> I shook hands with my friends. Yeah. This would be this would be major news to do today, but would just be not even mentionable all those times. Uh, you know, uh, life definitely moves very fast. So yeah, that would be interesting. What was the last time I saw you? It was uh, March. Do we know a date? It would have been March. It would have been for a hangout or or something like that. The last. Uh, the I, first empty arena smash. Th- there was a Wednesday. The Wednesday is when everything yeah. went crazy because there was the AEW, and uh, that was March the 11th. So I don't know if you came over the next day for the hangout or not. I don't know if we had I, we did. By In then. fact, we recorded something we? with Braden and Davey that day. Did we? Oh yeah. Oh. Okay, so March 12th is the last time I saw you. Yes. Wow. In person. I mean, you know, I see you all, all, all the time over a webcam. 
Yeah, but I never know if like you're doing tricks. Like maybe maybe you've put a filter that I just am not uh, <laughs> understanding of. Maybe maybe you're totally different. Maybe you're bald now. Sometimes uh, I'm not bald, but um, no? sometimes sometimes like when you disconnect, I have to replace your face with like a still photo, like when your camera freezes. So that does happen. Yeah, I've now learned something that infuriates me more than my earbuds getting ripped out. Skype disconnections. Yes. I'm definitely like on the hunt for a different alternative to Skype because I I understand Skype is definitely, you know, if you haven't realized it, they are certainly, um, I mean, talk about a, a technology of the past, you know, maybe even a technology from November back when Skype was the dominant force. Well, not so much anymore. I don't hear anyone talk about Skype. Oh, it's, God, all no. it's all yeah. Zoom. It's all Zoom. All Zoom. Skype, I, mean, I think, has just got trampled in the marketplace. Oh, they definitely lost out. And I, maybe much of that just has to do with uh, its capability for, like, teleconferencing. But, I mean, there, there are issues with Zoom, too. Like, privacy issues, of course, and who knows. So, I, I am on the hunt. Well, Wei is going to continue to... Uh... He just he just tells me what to do, and I just I just follow suit. I hope that the issues are not on on my end. I hope no. we can just collectively blame Skype, and then you and I are are free of any guilt. Uh, sure, yeah, all right, all right. We're gonna get to dynamite tonight. We'll also get to your feedback and questions, and tee up some other things we have planned this week. But we're gonna start off with the news, and there's a um a, a significant portion to get to, and I want to start off the top. Um, with a, a pretty serious story involving uh, David Starr and uh, allegations that were uh, presented uh, by a former girlfriend of his uh, that just goes by Victoria. And she had posted um, interactions between the two and she included the, this long message. And, you know, she initially just stated that, you know, he is someone that mentally, emotionally and sexually abuses his girlfriends and she cites uh, I, I want to bring up bring up the uh the exact uh quotes here um she she stated uh it was largely you know focused around you know the entire relationship and it, it's something that seems like it was not a healthy one but does bring up a incident where after a concert they were at a, a hotel room together and that seems to be where uh, this issue took place, where she is alleging that she felt pressured into having sex with him. They both acknowledge that the sex occurred and they disagree over whether she stated no or not. Um, she has gone to a great lengths here to explain kind of in, in detail all of this. And Star has since come back and he put together a very, very lengthy letter um, acknowledging that, you know, he was an awful partner, but maintains he is not a sexual predator and goes on to state, uh, I am not a sexual predator, but I have been a dickhead to my partners. I, I'm owning up to that and taking this time to grow. I will not go on the offensive. I know I've been an emotionally immature dickhead to my partners, Victoria, especially. And this is where, uh, she came back and had stated uh, they had the uh, argument. This all was on Twitter today uh, where she had stated there was a verbalized no and an I don't want to do that. Why else would you tell me I liked it and gave me the silent treatment all day? You're remembering it wrong for the Internet. And he stated there wasn't, but it's OK. I've come to terms with the fact uh, that I was uh, the C word to you. 
as a partner. Regardless of the anger I felt towards you for your repeated harassment and leaking of my nudes, I know that came from a place of hurt that I caused. It's okay. I'm not entitled to a platform. I'm not entitled to wrestle. I'm not entitled to be believed when I say I'm not a predator. I know I'm not. I hope you found peace with this as I have found mine over the past uh, several weeks. And anyway, there's a, there's a lot here. Um, I think that it's largely, um, you know, ac- accusations that, I mean, clearly there were uh, enormous issues um, on Star's behalf here and that he is owning up to, but not going so far as to say he was uh, in the wrong in that one specific incident. Um, it was not uh, a statement on Star's uh, behalf that was met with a lot of understanding by people. I think that many thought that this was uh, lacking in terms of uh, his statement and being remorseful. Um, in terms of accountability for uh, right. for a lot of his actions. I mean, it also worth noting here that this letter he claims was originally written on June 8th, a week and a half ago. Uh, both the statement about, I think, um, his prior relationships as well as this letter to Victoria, which he never sent. Um, these were in the form of screenshots, she, screenshotted JPEGs from uh, his notes app. And, you know, allegedly they, are, they were written according to him a week and a half ago. But um, I think a lot of certainly like it's not a crime to be a bad boyfriend. It's not even a crime to cheat on your partner, which uh, David Starr says he has. But Mm -hmm. the allegations of rape are incredibly serious and they should not be taken lightly. And uh, first, I, I think. I think it's important to. Like. Applaud the person stepping up to throw the accusations out. Regardless of, I think, what because the- quite quite often, way in these situations, the focus all becomes upon the, you know, the the well known half, the celebrity yep. side of it, and not so much the victim well, that is the male side, John. And and because like, regardless of, I think where where the truth may may lie, I, I can guarantee you that the person who threw these accusations out, um, it's it's not a party at all that I'm sure that person is experiencing. And if you read the replies, you can see that for yourself. Um, so why anybody would willingly invite that sort of conversa- conversation for themselves, I really don't know. So, but I No, think- and, I, and I, I think it really comes through that she has uh, gone through quite a lot in these, these years that she believes was a result of this relationship. Yes, and I, I, in either case, these allegations are worth absolutely investigating thoroughly. And I... You know, I oftentimes in these scenarios, I really don't even know what can necessarily be proven. But I do really hope that if there are serious allegations that we have some sort of like, you know, a person doing proper investigations. I mean, you have very publicly here one person saying that she did not consent to these sexual acts. And David Starr saying that he did not recognize uh, the, the verbal no and that to him it was consensual. Um, you know, Starr does like accept responsibility for the 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 interpretation that the other person has but i think that in itself is maybe what a lot of people have issue with it was more so saying it comes across a little like i'm sorry you felt like that was rape that was not you know it's incredibly tricky and again uh, very serious allegations that um i i think should be treated seriously and really like you know it's 
it should be talked about seriously, even from from your, yours and I, I's perspective. Uh, the, the other thing that um, was alleged here from David Starr was that his nudes were leaked by Victoria. Um, so, you know that that certainly I hope um, is properly investigated as well, if that is true. And you know we await to see if there are other stories of these incidents happening because Victoria, at least at the very least, I don't know if you know how specific some of these other instances with with uh, David Starr's exes were, but it seems to be a repeated pattern of bad relationships that Starr has uh, agreed that he's had. And so we wait to see if there are any other accounts of it. Yeah, I mean, she brings up in like this this message. Um, why do I have a girl I don't know reaching out to me to discuss the shit ways that you treat women? Um, and she, you know, paints this as this is uh, pattern behavior and not so much isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Star like pretty much agrees as much. You know, yeah, the disagreement is on the rape. I think every other accusation about him, um, he has acknowledged. Um, I, I don't know what the next step is from this. She has stated she is not looking to pursue this. She is not looking to end his career for him not to be booked. It seems she wanted to get this out there, and that's kind of where she wants to leave it at. I don't know what the next step is here. Like, is this something where uh, there is... Uh, an authority that that steps in to investigate this is this something that has a conclusion beyond he said she said um i i really don't know where this goes this is one of those ugly stories that it's uh it's out there and i i don't know if you necessarily get some kind of uh resolution to this or that it even will reach the stage where it can be uh investigated and there is some kind of finality to it between Besides the two stories that have been presented in in a public forum, right? Yeah, I mean, with how I, I, at this point the public the the case has become, I mean, I would certainly hope so that there there in the end is some justice to be found. But that would depend on um, how many people would actually go through, you know, whether or not the the victims would would actually proceed with something. Um, I honestly, I feel like in in Star's case, if he truly feels like he's innocent, I mean. You know, it's it would be in his interest to to see this go to like, you know, towards a further investigation. Yeah, um, so that that's it. Um, I tried to lay it out um, as concrete as possible on the site. Um, there, there was like a lot of uh, messages from the two sides and um, it, it's kind of just just laid out as it is. I don't think this is one of those stories where uh, any of us should be weighing in on like opinions and such like that like it is pretty much laid out there for everybody to see and i think that uh to way's point that um the, the the notion that people just uh bring these kinds of things forward when it's uh a terrible situation to be in it's it's ridiculous yeah yeah completely um we have a few statements um from the WWE side about some of the stories that we uh talked about the other night starting off with the friends and family that were permitted at the uh, WWE tape. Well, actually, let's start off with uh, today's tapings because that's a, a bit more pressing. So when we last left you off on Monday, we were talking about the positive COVID-19 case with a developmental performer who was not named. And this led to the uh, cancellation of Tuesday's day of tapings where they were set to do next week's Raw, next week's SmackDown and a host of other uh, programming as well. So that all got wiped on Tuesday in favor of doing 
uh, proper COVID-19 testing. And it seems like this was, you know, wrestlers, staff. Um, I spoke to some people who had the test done, and it seems like everyone had the the nose swab uh, done. That's what I heard from the people I spoke to. We also got videos from the likes of MVP, Mojo Raleigh, who were getting uh, the nose swab done. And then the test results were still trickling in on Wednesday, and it led to a delay. Because today, on top of the tapings that they had planned for Tuesday that got moved a day, they had two episodes of NXT to tape today. So what ended up happening was that SmackDown, uh, this was first reported by uh, Gary Cassidy at Sports Kita, and then I heard the same, uh, has been moved. So it's next week's SmackDown will now be done on that day, on Friday, June the 26th. So that was taken off the schedule today. They started the tapings late, but they did tape uh, main event, 205 Live. They did do next week's Raw. And then tonight, they did NXT Live, and then as soon as NXT was ending tonight, they were going to tape next week's episode. So they're doing that as we speak. Uh, so that is where everything is uh, taping-wise. And also, PW Insider noting that the the friends and family portion of the crowd, they were also tested and brought into the arena again, which I was I was surprised that they... We're so steadfast on on making sure that was a priority after this latest scare. Did you say they were all tested? They were they were tested. Okay. Yeah. So um anyway, so they uh apparently yeah, were part of the tapings and on Tuesday, uh this statement was sent out to uh John Elba of uh Spectrum Sports in Florida, uh WWE stating, "Fans have not been in attendance at WWE events since March 13th." Yesterday, a select number of friends and family were were permitted to attend WWE's TV production. These individuals were required to participate in medical screenings prior to entering the closed set at our training facility and were kept apart from in-ring performers and production personnel. Attendance was below 20% capacity and social distancing guidelines were adhered to uh, with at least six... Which is bullshit. Yes, we'll get to that. Uh, with at least six feet between parties, thus face masks were not required. So this came after, you know, reports that masks were not um, allowed to be used. The statement on screen. Uh, on, on screen. Yeah. We don't know about backstage. but Yeah, we don't screen. know about backstage. But this statement, uh, first of all, I think it's really splitting hairs when they're saying uh, fans have not been in attendance since March 13th. These were friends and family. I don't know what the difference is between a wrestler's buddy and a fan. But we're talking about a select group of people that was probably invite only. Um, anyway, if if you want to argue what are the somehow fans versus friends and family, uh, there's there's different antibodies that exist between them. To me, it's the exact same thing, uh, whatever you want to say. Um the distancing, the social distancing. I mean, this was this was ridiculous because we saw wrestlers, the street profits out there dancing with with these fans. And just even week to week, you see the extras just like stand, like really not six feet apart. I mean, they might have been six feet apart on that first instance when they initially got on air on that first edition of Raw, where they're standing there. But that quickly, quickly became far less than. I mean. <laughs> Practically, I would say in some cases, just like really right next to each other. But uh, yeah, and then you have the street profits thing too. So, you know, like all things, this is a like a level of, of damage control and, and PR that I think WWE 
or, or probably felt certainly felt the need to to throw out there. Um, how many people are going to necessarily call him out? Say, hey, you didn't go, you stand, didn't stay six feet. I mean, probably not too many. So, uh, anyway, what, what, sorry, what else is the latest with the, all this? Um, I mean, on on the WWE front for the tapings, I mean, that's that's about it. It sounds like they are just going to continue with the same format of shows. Um, we haven't heard of any additional positive tests. Um, and that was with, you know, all the testing they did on Tuesday. I would say that if we get no additional positive tests way, like they get through this week, how do they approach their shows, um, for, for the next tapings? Do you expect testing to be introduced or is it something that, they're going to go right back to the temperature checks and questionnaires. I think much of that depends on how much pressure they get from um, advertisers, from the government, from, you know, actual bodies that I think have an effect on their bottom line. Um, and how much public pressure I think there has, too. I mean, it all starts with public pressure from the audience before it reaches to those other places, right? Um, even even if you want to take out, like, the like what is the responsible decision— Let's say that this positive test had come uh, a day earlier and it would have affected Raw the next day. I mean, this ha- – like so, so this is one thing I'm really curious about is when they exactly knew about it, okay? Like when they found this thing out because the, the moment it hit online and also uh, I believe to um, the performers' inboxes was right at the end of Raw. Did – when did they find out? Did they find out during the taping of Raw? Uh, I guess that's when you would expect, right? We don't, obviously it was a very small number that would have known this, like the ones that had to form the message to get out there. Um, when that exact test was, was known, we don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine they were sitting on that for a long time. What's a long time to you? Um, like a, like a day. Okay. Well, what about an hour? What about two hours? That's possible. Cause in the NBA, when this whole thing went down. The positive test came right before tip-off, and they canceled the whole game. They shut down the whole league right mm-hmm. as they were about to go on air. And, um, you know, I don't even know if that's something we'll ever know. But I, Yeah, I, it's it's really just—I I don't want to speculate because, like, we, we just don't know when, when they found out. Um, we, mm-hmm. we do know that, you know, all the talent, they were finding out pretty much in conjunction with when everyone else was finding out, um, you know, within minutes. So I, I guess my— my point being that had this happened on, say, Sunday night at the same time instead of Monday night, and the next day you're faced with the decision either, okay, we're canceling Raw because everyone needs to be tested, or we're not going to test anybody and we're going to go through with Raw. Two terrible options. And to me, like that is where testing, like maybe it's time we sit down and this is not going to be a great answer for the talent, but bringing them in a day earlier than they already are so that we can test them now. Because if we have to go through this again, like they're lucky they were taping next week's shows, but this could affect, it It could have very well have affected this week's tapings had it happened 24 hours earlier. So there is a, a huge revenue reason for doing testing as well beyond just the responsible decision and the health and well-being of your talent and staff. I agree. I agree. And and certainly it would be an inconvenience to the talent, but what are other people in other sports doing? Like other Listen, sports wait, are wait, managing. This is, they're, this forcing, is why... they're forcing the players to live inside a fucking bubble in order to play these games. 
you know, would 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 these performers rather have that, or would they rather come a day early to test themselves or, and get their proper test? I mean, anyone listening to this that is following all the other sports leagues must be just absolutely their heads are spinning at what we deal with in pro wrestling and MMA that other athletes like what the negotiations that they're going through right now compared to what these wrestlers have been doing for three months. It's crazy. It's because like, you know, WWE never stopped. And so they've still been operating on that same sort of like gray area. That's, you know, relatively in, 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 in their minds enough, like, you know, the minimum bare minimum of like what they need to do in order to carry on. And, and I've just, had some tremendous, have had some outstanding luck that there are only two known cases in three months. So, I mean, sure. that, I mean, th- those were Hunter's words on the last conference call. They're like, listen, what we're doing is working. Um, th- th- those words don't sound as great today, but mm-hmm. I mean, they, but, I-, I don't doubt that they just believed that, hey, what we're doing, this is enough. They, they've certainly, I would say, skirted by on, on that, that record right now, um, but what do you think, John? Do you think that there there was, you know, a lot of press coming off of this positive case enough to uh, make them feel like they would need to make a difference to the public eye? I think that it's – I always defer that WWE is always going to get a pass from the larger outlets out there. Like, to me, this would be – like, there there is no way UFC could have gone through with their shows without testing. I just don't think they they could have stood up to that scrutiny, nor would their broadcaster, I think, have wanted that. So this, to me, has always been a case of you cannot allow WWE to just police themselves because we know what they're going to do. This requires external pressure, whether that's USA, whether that's Fox, whether that's government agencies. And it seems that there needs to be some power check here. And, hey, if you're going to run in our city – we know you bring a lot to our city and to our state, but listen, this this is necessary. You guys have to be doing this adequate testing. Like we've seen, like Florida has had these spikes. They just had an enormous amount of new cases on Tuesday. It was like over 2,700 new cases on Tuesday. Um, and from the performer side of things, I mean, just faced with the idea that, okay, you're now coming in another day early for these tapings. At what point are you saying, you know what? The smartest people on this roster are proving to be Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. Sure. Well, on that note, what what is the process with AEW? Do their talents have to fly in a day early? I mean, they're doing from from my understanding is like these these rapid tests that um, you know we we saw there there were uh, I want to say like in the when they first returned mm-hmm. uh, to Daly's place that they were doing. I was under the impression they were doing like the nose swabs. I, I don't know the exact form of test that they are being administered, but it is like COVID-19 testing that they okay. are doing. But I don't know what the time frame is, but they're also like they're, they're bringing the guys in. And I mean, they were there. There was a crew there. Like Jim Ross was there in Jacksonville for pretty much most of May. So you have the people there um, for a, a longer period of time. Um, See, if it's a form of rapid testing where they can get the results right away, I think that is the bare minimum that we should expect them to implement, mm-hmm. right? What What is that? What What is the detriment to the WWE to institute something like that for the safety of all these performers and their families? It's dollars. That's it. And this is a company that can certainly afford that. 
So the fact that they this was available to them, to a company like AEW, to, to other companies out there, and WWE hasn't already, you know, just instituted it just out of courtesy to the to their performers who are coming out there, traveling through airports every single week uh, or every two weeks. I mean, that I think that's irresponsible. There's no excuse. There's no excuse not to be doing it, especially at this point. Like you have you have gotten by and all we've heard about is, is two cases. I think this is a this is really a, a line in the sand moment. But we're going to see like it. It never stuns me what WWE is able to get away with and and pursue forward. Like I never would have imagined that they would not skip a beat during these entire three months to to this uh, level. But listen, there's even if you want to be the biggest cynic of WWE, there's a heavy financial incentive to make sure that you don't get a, a, a case where You've got to cancel tapings and suddenly you can't produce that night's Raw or that week's SmackDown that th- this week, like had the timing been different, um, could have happened. Uh, and again, we don't know that exact uh, timing. Now, Jerry McDivitt also responded to, um, well, at least uh, one set of allegations in that lawsuit that we outlined um, filed by the, uh, the, the, the pension fund and Jerry McDivitt. Uh, gave this uh, following statement. These false allegations were originally made in two suits filed by two different law firms. Uh, and this statement, by the way, was sent to uh, to Alfred Kinawa of Forbes. After the court appointed a third firm to be lead counsel, WWE provided all three law firms with specific detailed facts from the persons with actual knowledge of the situation, including the phony allegation about the plane. The first two law firms then dropped their lawsuits to avoid sanction motions, but the third firm chose to ignore the specific facts they had been provided and instead cited an unnamed, disgruntled former wrestler with no knowledge of the facts. WWE is preparing its response to the lawsuit and will be moving to have it dismissed. So, um, McDivitt mm-hmm. is pretty much stating it's complete BS what the allegations are in the suit and that uh they would have been wise to not pursue this case right and and you know specifically we're speaking about uh just the 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 plane incident yeah this he he points out the disgruntled wrestler which was a confidential witness too which was all the allegations surrounding crown jewel uh mm. not not specifically noting um the first confidential witness which was the uh, NBC deal. employee um, in Saudi Arabia that was talking about the entire like television rights deal um, and mm-hmm. largely like the big discrepancy there of the figures and trying to uh, finish that that rights deal. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like WWE is sticking to their story. And of course, uh, we, we need to say it, it's entirely possible that they're telling the truth. Right, like what really? Yeah, do they, we have listen, to a lawsuit is just it's allegations that ultimately those are allegations. They have not been proven. It is possible that you know the the people that are stuck on the plane, um, the various accounts that, that we've heard at this point of people that that uh, were present at the or at least you know knew of the of people that were present at the incident. It's possible that that it was just a misunderstanding and that it was just mechanical failure. It is possible, and we we have to you know be open to that. Um. I'd love to see, I, I suppose, this proof, you know, and whether or not it ever makes makes it uh, itself publicly known. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I really don't know what sort of outcome to, to expect from all of this. It's, it's very much a he said, she said. And um, it, do you think it's something that can actually be proven that, that it was something bigger, that it was something where WWE performers and talents were used as part of a perhaps pawns as part of this, you know, greater bargaining deal? Well, I think that it would have to be like they're obviously presenting these two confidential witnesses and believing that one tied into the other. Like there was already these existing issues and it culminated in this crown jewel series of events. But I will say in order to prove those, you're going to need to have a lot more than just one ex-wrestler with your company uh, to to prove that. Um, like th- that is the onus on on the side of, of the plaintiffs that they will have to uh, prove that and i mean that's that's largely where this goes and d- will they see this all the way to court i mean we will see this could get dismissed it could get quietly uh settled um the plaintiffs could drop this um or it goes or it could go all the way there's always that chance i mean there's times that you know like the the pumpkin cabana thing who thought that would have got all the way to court when it when that was first filed in 2015 and then three years later they make it to court um you you just never know no you don't um i guess i i'm still i'm just of the opinion that opinion that i i I don't know like i mean if what we're looking for here is wwe admitting that yes all of this happened it's not something i ever i can ever imagine and um maybe they can prove themselves that they they what they said was true that it was just mechanical failure and nothing more um yeah i don't really know what else to say uh raw on monday um this was there was a a lot to um be happy about for the wwe side they did their largest viewership figure since the night after wrestlemania they were up 11 and a half percent with 1,939,000 viewers on top of that the the third hour it still dropped, but it was their highest third hour since the night after WrestleMania as well. The kind of sobering number is that in the main demo, they did a 0.53. And if you compare it to the night after WrestleMania, look at that jump in viewership. But in the main demo, the night after Mania, it was a 0.70 to a 0.53 this week. So a major uh, discrepancy there between uh, what they were doing in the demo uh, the night after Mania compared to this week. So I think you have to look at both numbers. The overall viewership number, uh, that that's a great sign this week. Uh, but the demo, I mean, they perform fine on cable, but it kind of shows you where um, that key category is uh, two months removed from WrestleMania. Right, that's interesting. But you know, as far as perhaps you know, successes to this edition of Raw, what would you attribute the numbers to? Well, the... The over 50 audience was up 16% this week, so that was a big chunk. But they were also up uh, with women 12 to 34 by 27%. Those were the biggest uh, gains. I think the Christian hook was uh, notable, the fact that they uh, pretty much maintained the audience for the two hours. And then the the third hour, they were still la- – last week's third hour was just under 1.6 million. This week it was 1,838. So that's a – that's a really, you know, by WWE standards, that's a that's a really good third hour. Yeah, I mean, I you you and I were tremendously entertained, I would say, by by the show and and you know the show long angle. Um, is that something that they are would be able to replicate though? 
Yeah, it's not every week you can tease a guy coming out of retirement after seven years away. But um, it was notable that it was not like they just stockpiled everything in the first two hours and then just left the third hour to just exist. They they put up everything in the in the third hour and made this much more of a build from segment one to the final segment with Mm -hmm. Morton and Christian. I certainly imagine that's going to be a formula they continue because week one, it proved to be a successful formula. Ideally, I think that's the formula you would have every week, right? Set something up at the beginning and then get people to save for the end. Yeah, the the question will be how many how many compelling ideas you have uh, weekly uh, for these three hour shows. As we get setway, are you ready that uh, this July in one month's time, it will be seven years of three hour Raws? You're kidding me. I know, I know. I like probably like you know a year ago we had this oh, conversation. Wait a minute, I, I correct myself. Eight years. Oh, shut up. Okay. Eight well, years. It was July 2012. I think every year you probably tell me the anniversary of this, and every year I'm like <laughs> flabbergasted that I've we spent this much time like watching these three hour Raws. You know, it's like, God, it's like, you know, it, like in, in, the, in, in the Avengers, somebody's like, 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 you know, the snap happens. And then if we're just two common guys, you'd be like, wait, can you believe? It's been four and a half years since half the population was dusted. I'd be like, four and a half years? Wow, it just felt like yesterday. It, it's, you know, it's that type of event. Yeah, I mean, usually the, the third hour pattern, it's you, the snap occurs at the end of the second hour because most of the audience disappears. I think that Thanos certainly has, a, has had some influence on Raw's declining ratings, perhaps. Oh, Vince would love Thanos, I think. Oh, my goodness. You think so? Look at him. He's jacked. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cut a good promo. Mm-hmm. He'd probably change his name. He'd probably like cut cut off like something like uh cut it in half. Like he'd just uh I think he'd put him in a bowling competition. <laughs> yeah, or uh sure. Put him <laughs> in the revivals uh outfit that they had they had made for them. You would make him a rapper, yeah. Um so there you go. That's that's the raw number. Have you seen any of the have you been keeping up with the New Japan Cup at all since it started? I have, yeah. I have. Um I I saw yeah. the first day, but I did not see any of today's. I heard that uh, Suzuki Nagata is definitely one I have to check out. You well, again, I, I think part of the appeal for me is just to see all these wrestlers again. I mean, it really is a breath of fresh air. I think for for people that have really been sick of like empty arena wrestling, I would definitely like encourage you to give New, New Japan's uh, you know, recent shows a shot because I really do feel the 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 drag of like the empty atmosphere to be less on a New Japan show. And part of the reason I think is because, you know, Japanese crowds are often just like they start off the matches pretty quiet anyway. And because there's a lot more action to focus on, in my opinion, throughout throughout the, the matches. Not all the matches are are high quality. Certainly, man, there were oh, some stinkers. Oh, dude, that, that Toriyano Jato match was one of the worst of the year. The, the Okada uh, Gato match, uh, not, I mean, I don't know what people expect of that one anyway, but I didn't think it was very good either. But I have to say, if you're going to watch one match from each show for the first night, it's definitely the main event between Tomohiro Ishii and El Desperado. Just a fantastic match. The best mm-hmm. singles match I've seen El Desperado wrestle in. Uh, what did you think of that one, John? That was great. I mean, it was, um, you know, 
Ishii was outstanding in this match and Desperado. Um, yeah, I think this was one of the best singles matches that we've seen uh, of him. That was great. I really enjoyed uh, Togi Makabe and Yota Suji. That was a great opener as well. And I like that they're keeping these shows to five matches. They've done the four tournament matches and then a tag that they throw mm-hmm. in. And it's it- quick. They don't feel a need to like, we don't have to do eight or nine matches. Yeah. It's uh, not at all. It's it, these are in and out in two hours, including a little break in the middle. And we get we get to check in with our favorite video screen with a, a figure on there to That's call right. the action. Yes. It, it, it it definitely feels like sort of like a bit of a surrogate for the G1. And this to me, this this New Japan Cup feels bigger than previous years because, um, you know, because of everything that's going on uh, and, and New Japan making its return. But um, it's it's I would say it's very watchable if you're only in it for the, the tournament matches, four matches, a show. That's it. You get in, you get out. You don't even have to watch all the tournament matches if you if you don't want. In the middle, they always do some sort of like you know multi man tag match, which teases like the next show's matches. You don't have to watch it, but if you wanted to, you can. Second night, the must see match, as John mentioned, is definitely Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki. Um, you know, if you're in it for like strong style, if you're in it for like Minoru Suzuki being a dick and hitting as hard as, if you want to see two old men hitting each other, slapping each other in the face as hard as humanly possible. For twenty minutes, this will be it. I, you know, I Okada and Suzuki—they always have great matches together. But I'm really glad we're going to get Okada and Nagata next week. Like, I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to that. It's a fresh Spoiler. match. Um, well, come on, it's okay. keep up. Um, also, I'm going to make uh, mention that uh, Mike Murray is doing uh, New Japan Cup reports for us on the site, so he will be uh, keeping up with the tournament in written form uh, at postwrestling.com, and they're off now until Monday. Uh, Monday is that loaded show where we've got Tanahashi against Taichi. Who's your pick? Tanahashi, Taichi. Okay, well... I, th- um, I think Taichi's upsetting Tanahashi in this one. Are you serious or joking? No, I'm serious. I think this oh. is going to be the, the upset one. I, I don't see them doing Tanahashi against like Abushi or Zach in the in the second round, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go Taichi. You think it'll be a first round elimination though? Yep. Interesting. Well, I'm gonna say Tanahashi then. Okay. Uh, Abushi and Zach Saber Jr. So then it would be I guess it would have to be Tanahashi Zach. Okay, because I'm going with Abushi, Abushi and Taichi in the second round. So you and I are gonna be on totally different pages. Uh, then uh, Ryusuke Taguchi against Sonata. That's a sleeper match. Mm-hmm. I think that could be really, really fun. Uh, but I'm picking Sonata. I'm picking Sonata as well. And then Sho and Shingo Takagi. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a phenomenal match last year. Uh, I Some imagine people's Sh- match of the year. That was uh, it was outstanding. Everyone talks about the Shingo Will Osprey final, and that was outstanding. But this was not far off. I loved that match last year. So this is not going to have the crowd like the way they got behind Show. But man, they'll still have. Uh, I'm sure they're still going to tear it down. So I see. Yeah, probably Shingo and Sonata in, in the in the next round. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So a lot awesome. of great stuff. Uh, so then the first round will conclude on. Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, uh, they start the second round. So those are the upcoming New Japan Cup shows. Did you uh, still want to talk about Last Ride at the end? Oh, I totally forgot about Last Ride. Uh, Yeah, we can chat about it at the end. Okay. Let's chat first about what is coming up this week, Way. What is coming up this week? So, of course, right now on their feed, very likely you can find up next and their edition of tonight's a review of tonight's live edition of NXT. So you can see what the BD are up to, what they're cooking in their backyard, which they've dubbed at the MSG. I forget what MS stands for, but it's something garden. Um, 
And you can also watch all of their post shows live every Wednesday. I don't know if people understood that, but at youtube.com slash up next, you can always right after NXT ends on a Wednesday night, flip over to that and stream their show live. So you can watch that right now. You can listen to them. And then on Friday, John and I are back with a live edition of Rewind to SmackDown. John Pollock makes his return. We will be live for all of our Patriot patrons, Patreon patrons, starting at 10, 15 p.m. Eastern, right after SmackDown. We'll be uh, reviewing the show, taking your phone calls. This Saturday, Nate Milton, after a uh, stellar, stellar per, uh, uh, appearance on our Avengers Endgame review, he shows up to uh, deliver our next edi- edition of the Rocky My View Picture Show. Talking about what, which film, John? G.I. Joe Retaliation. It's Starring one. Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Have you seen it? Nope. Me neither. I'll listen to them. They'll tell me if I should watch it or not. I hear it's a good one. But uh, yeah, so that, you know, other than that, it's, I would say it's a pretty light weekend. So I would honestly recommend for people, if you have not listened to it yet, please listen to our Avengers Endgame review. We've gotten some great feedback from it. Uh, you did a great job, John. Honestly, look at how far you've come. I'm really so proud of, of really your expertise. You know, I upset some Captain America fans. I from, think. from from not knowing whether or not Captain America was an Infinity War to having, I would say, a very well formed, very critical, but I would say a very well reasoned opinion about um, his value to the MCU. This was a pretty lengthy show, but one I, I'm personally really proud and really happy with. I thought we hit on a lot of great points about this particular movie, as well as we gave out the Feige's, our awards for the best and one of the worst of the MCU. So listen to that right now on our Patreon, uh, which you can find. On an, on a related note, I wanted to uh, just alert people to something that uh, one of our friends, uh, Brent, on the show uh, you know, mentioned, and that's mm-hmm. him coming up for uh, trying to win a radio show uh, as part of 89.1 Max FM. Uh, Brent ha- is somebody who, you know, has, uh, I believe, went to school for radio, but decided not to pursue it for whatever reason. He says uh, he studied radio broadcasting, but due to youthful stupidity, he never ended up in the industry. So um, this is his chance to fill. What did he do? Did he like uh, pour like sugar down a program director's like (laughs) gas? What sugar? Isn't that that's if you if that's how you can like damage someone's car? You like pour stuff like sugar stuff into the uh, into the gas gauge. It's a really specific incident, but I would definitely classify that that as youthful. I'm trying to picture Brent in what what would be youthful. See that would uh, be trouble that he got into. I think that would be grounds for like arrest. So I, I, I don't think we want to accuse Brent of of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we need we need him for future reviews. So let's not do that. So and uh, regardless, this is his chance to fulfill a twenty year dream of making it, getting his own radio show on eighty nine point one Max FM. And you know, if he were to win, let me just give people an update. Okay, right now the leader happens to be this guy named. Donnie J, who's got some show that he wants to like promote about fringe underground music. You don't. Nobody wants to listen to that. Nobody. But nonetheless, no one's, li- no one's listening for to Max for music that the interest level is a minimum. No, of course not. But he stands right now at forty eight percent of the vote. Oh jeez. And we can't have that because our man what's, what's Brent, Brent at? is second place right now. Really, it's a two man race. You know, because okay. everybody else is at like zero or like one. 
But Brent is right now at 36% of the vote in Come On Postmarks. This guy has a chance. He is the underdog. He has a show that he's proposing called The Dark Side. So if you're a fan of The Cure, of Rob Zombie, of The Sisters of Mercy, of Joy Division, or of Nine Inch Nails, you're going to get plenty of this type of stuff from Brent Chittenden if he wins. He promises. He might even take a request from you. You know, if you if, if you vote for him, I guarantee you, you'd be able to send a request for him. So you can find the link right now, uh, right on at forum.postwrestling.com. It's a thread called Help Brett Chittenden Win a Radio Show. And I'm sure he'd very much appreciate your vote. Awesome. Well, let's let's all get behind this. I want to see how much muscle we can we can garner here let's for Brett. Do it. Uh, well, if you're if you're going to be sitting back and listening to Brent uh, and the dark side. Nothing better than getting a post wrestling t shirt as you listen. What a segue. Are you ready to give away a shirt way? <laughs> I am ready, yes. And you know what? Before I even do this, I wanted to update everybody on uh some of the, some of you who may have uh had orders already put in. Uh as many of you know, a lot of mail everywhere is is, is receiving big delays. And part of um the you know, people suffering this is the place that fulfills our orders for our t shirts at store.postwrestling.com. Um, a little bit behind the scenes, John and I were actually set to mention or set to announce like the release of a new shirt yesterday on our Endgame review. But because they're so backed up, they're not even taking new products to be entered into the system. So just to give you a gauge of like how long things are, those of you who have ordered, it might be up to a month. And, you know, uh, I, I think many of you are simply OK with that. And I uh, thank you for your patience. But uh, if you're one of the people who might win a shirt or if you choose to purchase a shirt right now from store.postwrestling.com, you will get your order. You might just have to wait a little bit longer. So just wanted to give people an update. But as I did all that, I also loaded up this huge list of names. So please. The winner is... Congratulations to Michael Darcy, a familiar name. Uh, 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 from from our listenership. So congratulations to Michael Darcy from La Mesa, California. You win a t-shirt in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> Bear with us. All right. Well, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, then you are always entered into this weekly draw to win a shirt. So sign up for the cafe, get your bonus shows, such as the Avengers Endgame panel review, and then you can win a shirt. But now we move on to Dynamite. Uh, from Daly's Place. This was taped last week. They'll be back next week. They're doing a live show next week. And then they'll be doing Fighter Fest on the Wednesday night, July 1st. And then the following week will be done the following day, July 2nd. So that's kind of the AEW schedule uh, at a glance. But uh, tonight we started off with a shot of the crowd. Rebel is doing Brit's makeup in the Rolls Royce. And we're kicking things off with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall for the AEW tag titles, minus Allie, who has been told to stay in the back. And uh, this was a really fun tag match, I thought. Dustin, early on, hit this Hurricane Rana onto Omega. And then Omega flipped out of the corner, and they showed the replay of the two cracking heads. And we had just seen them both kind of selling and like Dustin's like shaking his head and the replay explained like they just nailed each other in the head as Omega was uh, thrusting himself out of the corner. See, this looked like it was a clear botch, didn't you? Yet, yeah. Yet it, they played it up. The announcers called attention to it as if it was just, you know, uh, like a natural occurrence in a competitive match that, you know, would obviously have some sort of outcome. Like if this occurred in in a baseball game. 
you know, when when a when a when a player slides into home base and like cracks heads with somebody else, like that's that's definitely something that they would replay and that they would use as part of the narrative of the game. And they did that here. So rather than trying to hide the botch, they like just called attention to it like they would a real sport, which I, I thought it was cool. It's only a botch if you make it a botch. Otherwise, it can be a gift and you can make it whatever you will. Mm-hmm. They had the advantage on Omega for a long time. Uh, Paige eventually is in with QT. Can I just say, he hits this fall away slam to QT and it was like just the most gorgeous shot of the sunset yeah. in the back. I'm just like, this is uh if ever there's a show that I'm strictly gonna watch for the for the scenery, it's this. Daly's place is beautiful. And the sky, it was like there were like shades of purple. This looked like this it's looked go- like a postcard. Oh, it's golden hour. Yeah. It's beautiful. And uh what time of day would they have shot this? Uh, th- this looked like early early evening or so. Because this it was shot like, the next day, right? This was shot on the Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. yeah, no, it's gorgeous. And I think like, you know, week after week now, Daly's place is certainly proving to be, you know, the signature, the hallmark location for AEW. And one of the signatures it's is its ability to capture like the sunset as, as they tape these shows. So definitely. And, and probably a lot better to be in an open air facility. Yes. Like without a doubt. Absolutely. Yes. Uh. Rhodes is swearing up a storm here. He had to be uh, censored here. Uh, so they do. There's a twisting somersault off the top. And then uh, by Dustin, who then hits a cannonball off the apron, setting up for Marshall to hit the QT special. It's ugly, but it's effective, they note. And then QT is throwing up the diamond cutter sign. Uh, it's stopped with a snap dragon. And Dustin hits a Canadian destroyer on Omega. Page eventually uh, takes the diamond cutter as all four are down. This is when Allie comes out cheering on QT from the stage and he misses his twisting moonsault, allowing them to double team QT. Dustin sent to the floor and they hit the last call uh, double team maneuver and pin QT at 12 minutes, 56 seconds. I, I, I thought this was a great tag match. I thought so too. Really good, high quality tag team match to open the show. Uh, you know, they, they've kind of... They they spent almost all their time on dark, but like QT and Dustin as a team, you know, um, were really fantastic here. It it even surprised me that they would spend so much of this focus of this match around QT Marshall, like essentially really positioning him as the underdog, and really Kenny and Hangman just playing these like giants for them, like these obstacles for QT Marshall, the hero of the story to overcome. It, you know, it's um. He's very talented, clearly, and, and I think he and Dustin have, have good chemistry. It introduces a wider audience to this Ali QT storyline. Do you feel like they did a good job of like, kind of like explaining the hook of it? Because to me, I, you know, Ali I know is tied to them, but you don't really see what effect she has on on QT from this instance. You know, she just kind of came out and didn't really have any direct effect on the result. Yeah, it, it it to me it didn't overshadow the finish, which is what I liked. It wasn't as though she came out and it was like the the deer in the headlights by by QT. But I think you have to be watching Dark to fully be following this this story and everything that's going on. I don't know if the strictly dynamite viewer. I mean, they did do the segment last week that kind of set this up where you can see the tension between Brandy and Allie, but it hasn't been as pronounced on Dynamite. That's been more of a thing on Dark, but. I, I think enough people kind of get the gist of it, but 
it was not front and center for, for the finish, which I didn't mind. On that note about Dark, you know, uh, this week they started introducing lower third crawls, showing yeah. the results of Dark, which I think is a start. I mean, ultimately, I I think it, you know, it, I would love to see like actual like visuals of at least the notable matches that took place and who won just in a quick little Tony Schiavone voice highlight package that you could actually see Sonny Kiss and Joey Janelli teaming together or this person made their debut or such and such. But the lower thirds, I, I think, are a good start. Yeah, then it was a long lower third because there were 11 matches on Dark on Tuesday. Oh, my goodness. That's right. And a major injury, right? Yeah, yeah. John Schuyler just destroyed his knee. Um, he's going to be out a long, long time. Um, he, he, to- he tore all the CLs. Yeah, this was like uh, ever every injury imaginable under the sun uh to the knee uh th- this dude sustained. Uh suffered uh PCL, MCL, PCL tear in his right knee. So, yes, uh, PCL twice. I, MCL. I said ACL, MCL and PCL. Okay. Yeah. So, um yeah, he's he's going to be out for some time. They showed a profile piece of Anna J who wants to entertain everyone and put on a show. And that's why she's called the star of the show, Anna J. It was a video that um, was really well produced, you know, showed you who this person was. But I can't say it really told you a whole lot. And uh, I really wonder if this was all part of the plan to have, give you that sort of reaction. By the I, end of this, I thought it was great. I I, uh, I thought it was like a really interesting attempt at like misdirection with the way they promoted Anna J here and also like prior to the show on, on social media. You know, they were they, like... They didn't even promote her opponent this week. It was oh. Anna J in action. Yeah. That's how they promoted it all week. They they put a graphic out specifically saying this is going to be a big debut of Anna J and then instead we got this. Now, after you... Put, put the attention on Andrew Thompson uh, and the double underscore. Yes. He gets one-upped because Anna J with the triple underscore. Anna J underscore 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 on oh her my, Twitter handle. Oh, my goodness. I feel so... I guess Anna J is probably a pretty common name out there. Sometimes I, I feel grateful that um, there aren't too many ways, WAIs, uh, although I even even so, WAI, actually there are quite a few. But uh, Andrew Thompson is a very common name, and I suppose Andrew, Anna J is a really common name too. Three underscores. Who's? Good? I mean, maybe she'll change her name after this. Yeah, um, she, she should do something. Like I would like add add a uh, anything. Oh nine three seven. Anna J. Oh nine three seven. Well, yes. Hey, hey, Anna J. How 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 grateful do you, you know do you feel that you at least got like I am John Pollock? I couldn't get John Pollock, and that yeah. was that was in two thousand nine. It's true. So I just I just went. I am John Pollock. What do you like, know about about the the guy who actually has at John Pollock? He's like an actual like scholar, and he gets like wrestling questions every now and then that he has to send to me. So we actually, you know, on um. On Instagram the other day, I got invited to a group of 180 <laughs> so what? stupid. I got invited to a group <laughs> of 187 people <laughs> named John Pollock. You're kidding me. It's like wow. If you want to join, <laughs> we we just talk to each other. 
It's like, no, I don't want to join this. 187 John Holy Pollock. shit. Please join, John, and please inform us. What are some of the topics of conversation? Okay, I have the invite. Maybe maybe if I'm bored one day, I'm going to join. I was just oh, like, damn. the fuck do you have to do all day that you're chatting with 186 other John Pollocks? Like, what is, what is the conversation starter? Like, <laughs> hey, guys. Anyone got their names felt wrong lately? Yeah. God, I hate those ACKs. So it's specifically L-L-O-C-K. Yeah, good. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the exact spelling. Like, they got it down. Like, how many name groups exist out Please there? Please give anyway. us a glimpse. I need to know. And I also want to know. I mean, I, I imagine this to be the case, but I want it kind of proven. You have to be the most popular John Pollock in existence, right? I, I don't know if I am, to be honest. Like, there, when, when I was young, uh, there was a book on cricket written by a john pollock so i bought it there's a there, there's like several john pollock authors Cr- cricket like the sport yeah yeah so okay i'm looking nope. up wasn't this scholar here uh i'm trying to find uh typing it up and i'm coming up but that's is, is, is this at john Google. pollock guy on in that facebook group he might be like maybe he's the leader I mean, this, I mean, at John Pollock only has 3,300 followers. So, I mean, he might be, <laughs> he's followed, this John Pollock, the scholar, <laughs> is followed by Santino Morello, which I will guarantee you is a mistake. <laughs> oh, boy. Amazing. Anyway, yeah. So, anyway, uh, he's probably, yeah, he's, that looks like he's on vacation. He's, like, just tweeting out, like, landscape photos. Okay, he's got, like, other things Are here. We're stalking John Pollock now? Well, I'm just I'm just skimming. He's just like he's he's been on a lake for a while, it seems. All right. Uh back to Anna J. So Britt Baker is in her Rolls Royce and she has set up a clothesline to feed notes to Tony Shavani. Not like not, they're not a move, uh an No, like a clothesline. literal clothesline that you would hang your clothes on. Yes. It and she wonderful. and she pulls it up to Tony. I mean, if there is not a long-term budding romance between these two that is building. No, no. I would hate it if they went that direction. I mean, I think that's the it's the temptation anytime you have a male and female. But, I mean, this is, like, very much, like... There is such a flirtatious nature to it uh, between Is them. there? I mean, I, I look at... On the, Brit's behalf, I think there is. I, I look at it as almost like, you know, like, just like... I don't know, a commentator and, like, a performer who's just really annoying. Well, they have they have tremendous chemistry together. They do, really do. And she she sends him a note that reads for Abaddon, who is the opponent, who just has the greatest look, with like her her eye like falling out. This broad needs to find Jesus, and I thought that was the greatest line. I was like, she's put so this girl funny. on commentary. Oh, she's so funny. This yeah, broad a- needs Abaddon to find is Jesus. is uh, Anna Jay's opponent that makes her dynamite debut here. Yes, um, she had been on a on an episode of Dark in the past. Um, Abaddon uses a head scissors and smashes Anna Jay's face into the mat and pins her in a minute fourteen. And by the end of this, I thought this was great. I the thought way so they, too. they totally was just like every other build up. Here was what what I thought was a pretty generic video feature, and yes. by the end of it, I think it was like this was really clever. I thought so too. I thought I thought it was incredibly unusual, and I think in, in many ways ballsy. You know, because what what you felt like was uh, supposed to be a big debut for for Anna J. You know, she's probably going to come out here, beat some local, you know, QT Marshall trained jobber, and then she gets her push. 
But instead, her opponent ends up being this this Abaddon, which I saw her briefly on Dark, but like this was, I would say, you know, like you know, obviously her her biggest debut to a wide audience. She, I know there are a lot of Dark characters in AEW, but this is a character that actually looks scary. When you look at her face, it is, I mean, directly something, you know, right out of the ring, you know, straight, straight with like the crawling entrance and everything. To me, like, it's such a unique look for a character, especially in this division, uh, even within the show itself. And I, I thought she was incredibly unique and incredibly TV ready. So I look forward to seeing more of her. They, they announced that she was signed after this. Yeah, they did. And I would wonder, like, does she fit into the Dark Order better than Anna Jay? That is certainly the the thought. Uh, it's almost like uh, again, maybe too easy. But like, I, I imagine you might get Anna Jay going for like revenge of some sort. I also don't know if pairing someone in the Dark Order is is a great career advancement right now either. So I, I don't mind that uh, they're going the the other direction. Abaddon's a, a cool character, mm-hmm. um, and Jim Ross describing her is fun as well. Look at this woman. So, yeah, Dark Order comes out here. They gave an envelope to Colt Cabana, and then they helped Anna Jay to the back and took her into the dark tunnel. So, yeah, it looks like Anna Jay might be joining the Dark Order. Yeah, they're, maybe they're going to get her verified on Twitter with a new handle. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not still, still really not sold on, on the Dark Order. They keep adding seemingly, like, new members, and they keep growing up in numbers, but... Um, they really need a great talker. And to me, Brody Lee has not become that yet. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, like, like they don't they don't have that cult that cult figure, that guy who is, you know, like, the super like a a, anyone in that vein that can be that that manipulative voice that's super charismatic that gets everyone to buy into his deranged plot. Um Punk was great in it, but you're not getting Punk. So no. Uh, but there's lots of great talkers in this company. To me, Brody Lee's been given many chances to talk so far. I, 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 I'm not sold on him as like the voice of this group, and well, that's what it needs. Well, Punk joined. I definitely don't think Colt Cabana would uh, be making his way to signing up. Uh, that that is true. That would probably <laughs> not have been the the pairing that that would occur. So MJF is accompanied by Wardlow against Billy with Austin and Colton Gunn. Colton gun. Oh, so the the other guy was the other son. It's his, it's his two sons, yes, that okay. he came out with. But then Colton just disappeared. Austin is signed, but we don't know if Colton is. Yeah, it's just Austin so far that's signed. My trivia question for you, A, is how many years older is Billy than MJF? Ooh, this is a good one. So I'm 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 I mean I don't even know what MJF's age, but it's probably I'm going to get something like 22, 23, and Billy Gunn. I'm going to say maybe. 53? I'm just going to estimate, say 30. 32 years difference. Not bad. I thought Mm. you would be further off. But yeah, Billy Gunn is 56. Wow. And MJF is? 24. Wow. Okay. Well, considering, I thought Billy Gunn looked pretty good here. I mean, physically, the guy looks, you know, crazy for a Mm. 56-year-old. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. MJF leaves and goes into the tunnel so Billy comes and brings him back and he tries for the famouser it's blocked and MJF clips the knee and we go to commercial uh there was no picture in picture in Canada tonight no no I don't 
But they were actively throwing to picture-in-picture, so I imagine the TNT feed had it. Hmm. Uh, They're taunting the Jurassic Express, working over the knee of Billy for a long time, does an inverted figure four, and then he goes for a Famouser that Billy stops, and Wardlow is on the apron and passes the ring to MJF behind the referee's back. Billy is going after Wardlow as Austin Gunn is clotheslined on the floor, and then he gets nailed with the ring, and MJF pins him. Ten minutes and seven seconds, but we did have the commercial break in there. And they kept pushing that MJF is undefeated in 2020. Uh, they've just dropped the... Uh, his only loss was in a multi-man match. Uh, they've just gone... He's undefeated this year. He wasn't pinned. Sounds better. Yeah. So, uh, And then he got into Jungle Boy's face after, so just keeping that rivalry going, and... There was a big brawl between Jurassic Express with Wardlow and MJF. Yeah, big pull apart that involved uh, much of the other roster as well. I thought it was an entertaining little TV match between MJF and a veteran, you know? And again, I think, like, for his age, Gunn really didn't look out of place at all on this AEW roster. He looks in, again, great shape and, uh, yep, and uh, told a nice little story here with his knee. Like, a good exhibition for MJF. Yeah, it was it was fine for like a short television match and just keeping MJF rolling until they're ready to really pull the trigger on him with something larger. Uh, it just seems like he's involved right now with Jurassic Express. So that's where the focus is now. Marvez interviewed Jericho and Guevara, and they said that Orange Cassidy interrupted them twice and nothing was funny about what they did to him last week and beat him to a pulp. And they're going to become the number one contenders tonight. They are blood brothers. And the blood, there is, th- blood is thicker than orange juice. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, well, what if I you mean, have pulp? Like, if your blood was clotting, it would kind of resemble orange juice. Pulpy pulp. orange juice is thick. Do you, are you an orange juice fan? Uh, not with pulp. No, I never liked pulp. Some people do. I like pulp. Uh, I, I like I like orange juice, but n- no pulp. I'll do Grove Stand, man. I'm I'm all about the pulp. Ugh, it's disgusting. Um, but uh, yeah, blood is thicker <laughs> than orange juice. I thought Sammy was so funny here. You know, he was just like standing next to Jericho, but he plays such a great yes man to Jericho, even with his nonverbal stuff. He's just constantly like head nodding, smiling, pointing in approval of everything Jericho says. He really has like become like the perfect person for this role. He's great. He is just great in this role. Shivani is with Britt Baker, and Shivani has called on this interview to inform Britt Baker that Hikaru Shida will take on Penelope Ford for the women's title at Fighter Fest. And Baker says, "You're in a lot of shit, and our our friendship is in a timeout for you bringing all this to me." And tells Reba to take her away. So she's in the Rolls Royce, but we cut to the driver's side, and it's Big Swole, and they reenacted the Undertaker-Stephanie scene with Big Swole yelling, where to, doctor? And drives off, hmm. and like a total recreation of the Undertaker driving off with Stephanie from 21 years ago. Yeah, uh, I don't remember that scene that well, but sure, I, I vaguely recall it now. Uh, I thought... It was cool. It was a nice little setup for this angle. I do, again, wonder where this is going if Baker can't wrestle for a while. But in either case, I'm really glad to see both Baker and Swole getting strong, good segments and airtime on the show despite the injury. You know where it's going. 
Big Swole has now taken over the Swole's Royce. Ha! <laughs> and she's going to be the Swole model. Oh, my God. I hand the crown back to you, John. Oh, man. That and uh, Thorentine. Damn. The I'm king back. is back. I'm back. King is back, everybody. Cody's out with Arn Anderson. And the challenge tonight is from someone outside AEW. And Cody brings up that he was attacked last week. There was no Dustin. There was no Young Bucks, no Omega, and questions if he's even still part of the elite or if there's a nightmare family, but then just moves on. And this was not a throwaway line. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, the fact that he brought up both the elite and the nightmare family, like, you know, doesn't necessarily suggest he's, he's going to leave one group, but not the other. But what, what do you think it leads to? Well, Dustin be like, hey, dude, you cost me. You're, you're walking around with the title that you cost me by throwing the towel in. Sure. Get lost. So anyway, they tease that. Hmm. Then Arn says that he knows that Cody can beat Hager, but the timing but timing is everything and the timing isn't right. And he has scouted his opponent tonight. He's qualified, but he's going to push Cody to the limit. And we get a video of Ricky Starks, whose contract ended with the NWA and is going from being into the fire into the the dynamite yeah i was trying to make a bridge there so out he came he explained in his video that he's the hottest free agent he's been broke slept in his car but it's all to to what got him here was his work ethic and something that is in massive supply right now in wrestling his grit and he's ready to go to distance (laughs) <laughs> grit is in high demand right now during this Gr- pandemic. Grits, all the grit. There was a huge concentration of grit in Florida that has now been sidelined. Ricky Starks jumped on that grit that was available. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. I was really happy to see this. You know, I, I'm surprised that it wasn't more publicly known. Like the fact that. Yeah, this this, this didn't get out at all over the last week. I mean, one one thing is that, yeah, um, you know, you, the, the occasional things are coming out during like wwe tapings um but yeah AEW like it's pretty sealed like these these tapings and it's not that ricky starks is this like you know wow huge news like headline breaking act but i think for anybody who's seen nwa power you recognize that this guy was definitely a standout performer and somebody who i absolutely felt took great advantage of his brief exposure on that show great talker good in ring um Good fit, I think, in AEW if he is signed. And I guess we don't know at this point if it is a contract or just a one-off. Yeah, I mean, just the names just keep piling up. So, yeah, we'll see if this is, uh, you know, especially for this TNT championship. Like, there are, t- to get this over, like, there should be some one-offs. And not everybody is going to get signed. But, um, but, the, but the appearance was so strong, I really feel like he'll probably if not if he's not already gets on i also thought this was like the first instance instance of a of a new non-roster star debuting in one of these tnt open title challenges and you know cody had alluded to it but this is the first time we got to see it and it definitely sets the precedent for more surprises on your tv show to come especially from you know like a growing kind of like plethora of, of free agents that are out there so like the moment that you know one of these wwe guys pops up i mean it can make for a highlight of these shows and all the nxt guys they're available now they only had 30 days so oh. again chris hero is the one i really would love to see i think that would be a cool one to do but there's like yeah there's no shortage if you want to do these surprises of available names 
Uh, and then the WWE ones, their 90 days will be up mid-July. So we're not that hmm. far away. We're a month out from that. Um, so early on, Cody hit a tope suicida that Jim Ross called an unnecessary risk this early in the match. And then the two cracked heads in the corner and they brought up both Rhodes brothers knocking their heads in these matches. So Cody comes back. He tosses the weight belt out. Crossroads gets stopped as Starks hits a superplex. They end up on the floor. There's a spear by Starks for his biggest near fall. And then a series of bridging attempts ending with Cody in control, hitting the crossroads and winning the match in 833. And they shook hands afterward. I really enjoyed the match. I actually enjoyed it more than the Mark Quinn match last week. If you're Ricky Starks, I don't know if you could have asked for a better debut on Dynamite. You know, obviously, like, he could have had the standard, you know, come in, beat some jobber. But, like, I think a match where he looked this good, this competitive, this confident against, like, arguably the the company's top guy, Mm -hmm. I think it does way more to put him on the map. Yeah, I thought this was a really good outing, and the video package, to me, did as much for him as the match, because this is a guy that, to me, really stood out with his talking on NWA. Like, that that kind of platform really got to emphasize his personality and his promo ability that was really good on a show that had a lot of good promos. For sure, yeah. So, so he know. got a lot out of that short time in NWA. Like, mm-hmm. I thought he really benefited from that exposure. Yeah, so, you know, I, I mean, after this, I... I have to imagine that they're considering signing him if they haven't already. Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc took on the Young Bucks. Uh, they went a lot of time here, and this was sort of just showcasing the various tag teams because we had Butcher and Blade in the front row all decked out in white. I mean, these guys looked like they're like hipsters. They, yeah, like a group they of just Buffalo look, hipsters. Oh, these guys belong in like the old Batman series as like the Joker's uh, henchmen. I I love this look. I love their like non-wrestling look. You know, a lot of people, I don't know how much effort they really put into like their look outside of the ring, but like Butcher and Blade clearly um, (laughs) have something going on. I love it. Okay. There's nothing that I enjoyed more than the flagrant disregard of the 10 count when Jimmy Havoc was in illegally and Jim Ross just piping his displeasure at this lack of following the rules. <laughs> so they're double teaming Matt and it, he's got the injured ribs still. And <laughs> Jim just notes Havoc is going to have to leave the ring sometime during this lifetime as they were double teaming him for a prolonged period. Uh, Nick got the hot tag and just looked awesome here with his usual comeback, ending with a sharpshooter on Sabian while Matt came off the top of the top rope elbow while he's in the sharpshooter. Jimmy Havoc is just bringing in all his toys. He had a, a floor sign when the, the, the slippery one wet sign. He had a mallet. Um, then uh, Havoc makes the tag to Kip Sabian. And Ross just says, tag to Sabian. Havoc out eventually. So he's just getting on this guy for the constant time he has spent in the ring here. We get a PK from Nick off the apron to Sabian. They're setting up for the Melter driver, but B&B, Butcher and a Blade, hop the apron, and they're on the floor when FTR appear, and they're standing down, Butcher and Blade. Havoc then hits a butterfly suplex, and they hit a double stomp by Kip. Nick makes the save at the last second, and then there's the super kick spot, 
that forces Kip to tombstone his partner, Jimmy Havoc, who he has in the position. And they hit a Kamagoye on Sabian for the win in 1444. It was like a, sort of like a variation of the Golden Trigger, where instead of like both guys facing the, the, the guy's face, it was like kind of one facing his back, one facing his front type of thing. And it looks to be a new finish for the Bucks. Really good match. You know, certainly um, like the arrival of the other team somewhat interrupted the flow here, but they definitely hooked me back. After the commercial break, um, I I think Super Bad Squad. I hate that name. God, what a terrible name! Super the Super Bad Squad. I think they're a really good team for this like kind of setup role. Really solid in ring, like great way to set up your pay per view challengers. Good match. Yeah, and this uh, I always hate making this critique. I'm I'm always thinking like with fans. I think this would have been like a hot bucks bat match that Mm. they got into, but. Um, yeah, it was, it was lengthy. It was like 14 minutes or so. Um, but they, uh, especially Nick Jackson, I thought he really shined here. Matt selling is always great with the ribs. So butcher and blade attack the bucks and then FTR go after butcher and blade and Kip and havoc, but they never put their hands on the bucks and they set up for the good night express. But before they can hit it, the bucks hit double super kicks and then they hit the Goodnight Express onto Butcher, which was a bit of a struggle getting him up for this move. And then they hit Stereo Mindbreakers with the Bucks hitting one and then FTR hitting one. And Mindbreaker um, as a, I guess, an homage to the Brain Busters. Yes. Yeah. The Spike Pile Driver that FTR introduced last week. Yes. So they're uh, just, you know, slowly building up this, this showdown with FTR and the Young Bucks that I I don't know how much longer you can hold this off. Like, this is the match people want to see now, and they're heavily moving towards it. Yeah. Do you? I, I don't expect it for oh, – well, it's certainly not Fighter Fest, right? Because uh, that'll be the next show. Um, so it would have to be the big, big one after that, you know? So I think you drag out this sort of, like, association a little bit longer. You have both teams beat – you know, more Butcher and the Blades and then Super You know what I could see at Fighter Fest is an eight-man where FTR and the Bucks have to team together. I mean, that's what it looks like they were setting up here. Yeah. Right? So that that might be where we're getting at Fighter Fest. They really have their work cut out for them if they want to hold this off till all out. Like, that's that's the first weekend of September. That's a long time. But I think they they have to because it's it's such an anticipated matchup that you have to save save it for a pay-per-view. But yeah, it's going to be, it might not be easy. Or you do a big injury, like FTR uh, injures one of them, and that takes out one of the bucks for a month or something, and that can prolong things. There's there's ways to get mm-hmm. there. It's just the in this mindset in 2020, it's it's very foreign to imagine holding things off for that long. But that's you know that should be the goal here is to keep this for uh, the bigger stage, and and who knows where they'll be by all out if. If they're still going to be in empty arenas at that point, they that might be the option that they can they can have more fans. Absolute absolute Ricky Starks is all elite. That was tweeted by Tony Khan about an hour ago, so I'm sure there, there are people tweeting me right now in between us talking about it and and the confirmation. But yeah, he is officially signed, and tells you that AEW is in acquisition mode. Like they have not mm. stalled during this this whole period. That they they've picked up a lot of people during this period. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there are certainly other people that were on the roster that, like, what happened to the hybrid two? Well, I mean, stuck somewhere. Yeah, they're. I mean, Jack is like uh, 
like he's a U.S. citizen, so he shouldn't have an issue getting into the country. But I mean, he hasn't been there. I'm pretty sure. And Helico is out of the country, so that's mm. that is why he's there. And yeah, like guys like Pack, of course. Um, you know, uh, Phoenix is injured, but Penta still hasn't made his way back yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, not not that anything that that has anything to do with with anything else. But um, uh, yeah, no, it, it it seems like they're still looking to grow their roster. Uh, Taz did a promo with Brian Cage out by the highway somewhere. And last week they were in their trailer hanging out, drinking whey protein. Mr. Ting's favorite kind of protein. And they heard this crazy ass banshee, John Moxley, threatening to pop Cage's head like a pimple. And Taz tells him that he's a rotten son of a bitch and the miserable gimmick has already been taken by him. And then Cage just followed by saying... I don't know what I want to do more. If I want to drive his head into the floor or take his title. Like you you could do both. One could lead to the other. That's that's an option. Let's let's keep Taz in the role of the speaker of the two. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the attempt to to give Cage some lines here, I think it was necessary. You know, he's he's somebody who isn't just um a meathead. Yeah, yeah. I think he, you know, he. he it's good to have. He him needs to be Thanos. Guy. He needs to be Thanos. That's who this guy is. Thanos. What do you mean, Brian guy Cage? Who can speak and like fight. That's what they want. Eventually, eventually. But I mean, know. he literally had the glove in Lucha Underground. He had right. the power glove. But certainly having Taz there elevates it to a different level. It doesn't mean that Cage can't really speak for himself occasionally, which I think they're 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 trying here. And he also threw in Canyon's line at the end. Who better? Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, Canyon had a big, uh, you know, role in his, uh, you know, they, that was like a mentor to him. Mm. So Moxley, uh, after the break, cut a promo. The, uh, the, the longer version that Taz never got out. Beat me if you can survive. If you're the miserable son of a bitch that can survive when I drag you into deep waters. That one. I don't think Glenn Denton ever had that in mind. Yeah. So that's a, that's a long t-shirt next week, Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara in a singles match, Brody Lee and Colt Cabana, which they explained the envelope was a contract taking on Joey Janela and Sonny kiss and a lumberjack match with Wardlow versus Luchasaurus, which I will say on paper, this is like, uh, we'll, we'll see what they announce next week, uh, what they add to this, but this was not the, uh, not a lineup that jumps off the page at you. And they did not mention a TNT match for next week. Right. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if we'll, we'll get one. Uh, I imagine they'll, they'll probably announce things throughout the week. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, Matt Hardy, during commentary for this, this next match, mentions how he's letting Sammy Guevara pick the version <laughs> of him that's going to appear. And I really like this little detail that they put on this graphic where they had a photo of Matt Hardy and then in the background, it's just like, you know, kind of like, Fifty percent opacity heads of his various characters, which I thought looked really cool. Rebel is searching for Britt Baker and finds her in a dumpster. And this was a, a much better segment than the other involving a dumpster at Oh my uh, god! Backlash. Britt Baker is in the trash. She's got garbage all over her. She fires Rebel, then immediately rehires her because she needs help and. Yells at Rebel that this is a 24-hour job, seven days a week. She cannot go to the bathroom. Get Tony Schiavone. Why isn't he here? And she's informed that 
he's on a friendship timeout that you gave him and she just ignores her her own rule that she instituted earlier and then in maybe my favorite attention to detail ever she asks why is the lighting crew here and rebel explains so that we could find you in the garbage so then bravo bigger- bravo bravo she looks into the that. camera and says since you're here so are all the times that i mean that was one of the things that you know tony khan had always said we don't want to have the imaginary camera and believe me if she had not acknowledged this i don't think i would have even noticed but the fact that they called attention to this i love detail points like that i do too i thought that was brilliant i mean now i i i feel like if we're going to talk about this we should mention the mysterious GoPro that somehow ended up in the steering wheel of the golf cart as Big Swole was driving it. Um, no real explanation for that, but who cares? Like, no one, it's not even worth mentioning. But the fact that they did go to lengths to explain something like this, it's wonderful logic. I really enjoyed it. Listen, if she, throughout the week, posts videos of her in the Rolls Royce going around the country with her GoPro footage, then that'll explain itself. Sure. Very possible. We'll see. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, this was like a fun segment with with Baker in the trash, just treating Rebel like trash. Uh, I thought this was so good. You know, I I think Baker just comes across as such a natural, like not just a natural heel, but I think a natural comedian with just incredible timing. I don't know, like, how much, how responsible other people are for these lines and just these interactions, but... I think everything, if she's coming up with, you know, the majority of it, it, she's just, she's proving to be one of the funniest people in pro wrestling right now. And I certainly, I thought Reba did great here as well. But again, the world that she built around her between her, Tony, Reba, uh, I just love everything that they've been doing. And I know humor is subjective, but can we talk about, can we compare the effectiveness of uh, the comedy of the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders versus... Something like this, you know, and and I know like it's been brought up to me how sometimes like some like maybe the WWE's attempts at humor are for younger audiences. Like, I hate that argument. That's what that's the that's the that's the fucking explanation. Whenever something sucks, it's like oh, it's meant for kids. You know what? Kids are not idiots. Okay, they 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 can see shit too, just like you and I can. And just because some something is is completely awful, doesn't mean it applies to someone that's ten years old either. They think it sucks too. It's like saying you know, like you go to a restaurant and the food is just awful. Like you go to a pizzeria and it's just cold. It's like the cheese isn't properly melted. That's for kids. <laughs> kids have no taste. Oh, there's just like shit. It's like you you need to like be around kids. I think I think that's that's what those people need. You you need to be around kids and realize like they have some instances that that is true. You know, like the some instances I absolutely feel that that is true. But come on, like in instances like the Street Profits and Viking Raiders, I really I wish Max was like maybe ten years older. He'd he'd be our litmus test. But I wouldn't want you to subject him, him to that. After the Britt Baker segment, we have the um, Matt Hardy comes out for commentary. Jim Ross asks him which one he is. He's unkillable, Matt Hardy now. 
And we have Jericho and Guevara, La Sex Gods versus Best Friends. La Sex Gods. And I had a lot of people say that it should very well be Lay Sex Gods with an Lay S. Lay Sex Gods. Well, out comes Jericho with Sammy Guevara singing his entrance. And they cut to commercial break. This would yeah. be like uh, Minoru Suzuki walking out. And as soon as he comes to the tunnel, we'll be right back, everybody. And then you come back, and he's just there in the ring getting ready for the match. How, how do you cut the commercial during this? Of all people's themes, Jericho's. I guess they felt like the gag was, you know, they just did it last week. And would you and don't do have... the gag. I think it's going to be a constant. I think it's going to happen every week. But they just gave you a little bit of it here. But would you rather have had the song, or would you rather have had more match? I would have. I, I think the. I think the song is a big part of the Jericho, Sammy Guevara presentation. I would have kept the song in there. I mean, we got fifteen minutes here. We could have spared forty seconds. I actually would rather hear the sing along than than the match. The match was great, though. Yeah, uh, Sammy Guevara was awesome in this match. I mean, everyone, you know, the best friends were, were great in this. This was like a really solid tag match in the main event. Um, this is where Matt mentions that Sammy can decide decide which version of Matt. He faces next week. Jericho missed a lion salt and then hurts his knee. He got the bat later and nailed Trent with it as he comes down to the floor and they go to a commercial. Uh, Taylor then lands on his feet for a top rope moonsault. Uh, Guevara's out of the way, but then takes a Liger bomb. Jericho's in with the save and Guevara gets crotched on top by Trent, headbutts him down, and there's an assisted superplex. Jericho does the eye rake to Trent, leading to a roll-up by Guevara for a two-count. And then there's another bat shot to Trent. Shooting star press, Trent kicks out. The GTH gets stopped. And then Guevara is running the ropes. Jericho's on the floor. He's out of it. And he trips on what they say is the cameraman who is too close. And it sets up the dude buster by Trent, pinning Guevara at 15.07. And as they're celebrating, the camera operator gets into the ring and he's standing behind Jericho and the cameraman is wearing a face mask, a rarity in wrestling. But then he immediately removes the mask and it's Orange Cassidy, who to a nice nod was also wearing Chuck Taylors. Oh, is that right? Yes. Uh, I thought the match was a lot of fun. You know, I thought Jericho looked really good here. Um, and I love the finish. I, I always love this, like, you know, hidden cameraman gimmick, but I love it even more when it's a pandemic and you have the added excuse of, you know, a face mask to conceal a guy's identity and great angle, great finish. I, you know, I, I couldn't help but wonder if like he was actually shooting the entire match or if it was just here at the end, like, because if so, that's incredibly impressive. I would imagine not. But at the same time, like a guy as steady and still as Orange Cassidy, I think would actually make for a great camera operator. Yeah, I mean, you would be the one to ask, like how his form was and how how convincing he was as a camera operator. He was pretty convincing. You know, I also know, like liked how Cassidy only interfered after repeated instances of the heels cheating. So you just you know still keep the cheating justified. He just fired up on Jericho and they made a big deal that they've never seen Orange Cassidy with this level of aggression. And with seconds to go, Tony Khan relays in the headset. It's Jericho versus Orange Cassidy at Fighter Fest. Um, I guess they got verbal commitments from them ahead of time. And 
the best friends and Orange Cassidy all hug and we do a big zoom out to end the show. Yeah. I the best, the best friends get the tag title shot at Fighter Fest. Yes, yes, yes. I thought this was a really good dynamite. You know, very good matches, good angles building the Fighter Fest. I didn't think there were any wasted segments. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought this was a I really enjoyed the opening tag. I really enjoyed the closing tag and some of the angles, but with with Britt Baker, with uh the Orange Cassidy stuff at the end, Ricky Stark showing up. Like there was like this was a very like on paper, this looked to be like this was be a fine show, but it, it was like there there were a lot of elements to the show that the, the booking seems, you know, very coherent, very like it makes sense. You know where many programs are heading like you can see long-term stuff you can also see short-term stuff and i think that really assists in the week-to-week booking where you know that there's a destination and it's all making logical sense as you're moving towards those those destinations Mm -hmm. so can you remind me again what the taping schedule is like so so they're they're live next wednesday okay and then they're live the following wednesday which is week one of fighter fest and then They'll do Fighter Fest Night 2 on July 2nd to air on July 8th. Right. So next week will just be a, a, like a one-off. They're not taping anything other than Dark. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll do – and I don't know what – like I would assume if they're all coming to Jacksonville next week that they'll just stay for the week and do July 1st and 2nd. Like I don't think it makes much sense to come in and then go home, but that is an extra week that you're there. Right. So – all right, let's move on to uh, feedback, and then we'll do The Last Ride um, and share our thoughts on that. Tonight's episode of Dynamite gets a 7.33, so a bit lower by usual Dynamite standards. Kenny writes, not one of my favorite episodes, but still fun to watch. I continue to be baffled by the way Billy Gunn's being used. If MJF is the number one ranked competitor, he can't be cheating to beat a 50-year-old, even if he was the king of the ring. Uh, Abaddon was so awesome. That I- was... I mean, I, I I definitely feel feel like there are instances where I think they were overreaching with Billy Gunn, particularly like anytime he's been in the battle royal and being being where he's positioned as like sort of like a like a like in the Andre spot in a battle royal, which um, to me is a little bit much. But here, like he was the veteran with name value who I thought was struggling to compete with MJF. You know, he had to deal with a knee injury the entire time. Uh, yes, MJF had to cheat at the end, but I mean, the guy's a heel, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought it served its purpose fine. Like, I didn't think it was the greatest match, but it was like, I had no issue with the outcome. I mean, that's that's part of the character. Like, you don't want this guy just going over guys clean every week. It's like, dude, MJF is like gold. Like, he's he's in a great spot. I don't think you have to be worrying about in what way, in what manner he beats Billy Gunn. He beat him. Um I really appreciated that they showed the, the results from Dark. As someone who's very confused why the Nightmares got a shot, it was a nice change for me. Hopefully next week we get some highlights. Sammy was, again, the best. I'm not sure if I like serious Orange Cassidy or not, and I think Britt Baker's my favorite wrestler. Six out of ten show. He needed to be serious for this angle. Yep. You know, you needed yeah. something coming off last week, and that was the right tone to hit. This is him getting revenge and like really building heat for the match. All right, we go to Doug from Tupton Classic, who says, uh, Another enjoyable Dynamite tonight. Lots of fun throughout with no real downers for me. Glad to see Ricky Stark's debut and with very effective, with a very effective introductory video. I hope he's sticking around. Yes, he is. 
Uh, he says, I have no idea what is going on in this women's division, but hopefully there is a plan in place. And in the meantime, we get a return of Abaddon, who manages an entirely effective monstrous appearance, which I find genuinely disturbing. Otherwise, it felt like everything made sense, story progressed as necessary, and Britt Baker continued to shine throughout. 7 out of 10 show. MJ writes, weaker show this week. That said, the tag division is stacked, and you continue to see them plant seeds and stoke flames of feuds and rivalries. The women's division seems like it's gaining steam. I loved how they highlighted uh, Anna Jay only to job her out to the new special attraction. It's like both got across well in that package and match. Well done. Uh, please rank the following missed pops due to real crowd due to no real crowds. Brody Lee's debut, Matt Hardy's debut, Tyson and the MMA squad, FTR debuting, and Orange Cassidy confronting Jericho tonight. Um, I, I think, think Matt, sorry, I think FTR ahead. would have been a uh, a giant one. I, I mean, all of these would have probably gotten enormous reactions. It's just uh, FTR certainly. I think that would have been a big reaction in front of the right crowd. Actually, yeah, FTR. I think FTR or Matt Hardy, like one of those two. But Brody Lee and Rochester would have been huge. Yep. Um, Tyson, I think would have gotten a great reaction, of course. But um, would it be the biggest one? Oh, uh, who knows? Yeah, know. that didn't have the big spot. Like it didn't have the guy getting punched out or anything. It was kind of just the chaos of the brawl itself. Um, that hopefully it wouldn't have been that like one reaction pop that you would have got from like the first visual of FTR or like a debuting wrestler where that first visual and the whole place explodes um, with the Tyson thing. It was more so, um, you know, creating just that that buzz, which I, I think they, they created a certain amount of. And uh, Jericho really, is really sorry. lobbying yeah. for that for that match now. Like that does seem to be where they're heading towards this. It's hard for me to imagine that they would shoot the angle without a plan in place. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, we got a Raymond from Sacramento who says, I gotta say, hyping up Anna Jay returning the Dynamite only to be destroyed quickly by a returning Abaddon was quite the swerve. I like that one a lot. And I'm very intrigued by Bodhi Lee and Dark Order immediately recruiting her. A female in their ranks is a very interesting development. And they've shown that not everyone has to wear a mask, so I would assume she'll definitely stay unmasked. And Ricky Stoke, Stroke Daddy Starks was really good in that match with Cody. He better get side. Yeah. Brett from Texas. Solid show with good wrestling. Appreciated the Anna J loss. Everyone enjoyed this Anna J treatment. AEW has become too predictable with enhancement matches on Dark. Always having talent. Go over unsigned wrestlers. So it was a nice swerve to see the person they were promoting all week lose. Looking forward to Fighter Fest, which everything else did well building towards. 7 out of 10. The fact that so many people are bringing that up, like, suggests... It was really effective, and people just want something different. NXT did that once, I remember, with Samoa Joe. I can't remember the guy that they had been building up, and then I think it was Joe. And he just, like, steamrolled this guy. It was great, and that was, like, several years ago. It's good to deviate from formulas. Mm -hmm. We go to Noah from Vaughn, who says, I thought this was one of AEW's best shows in a while. Three very good tag matches and one of my favorite segments of the year with, Bra with Britt Baker arguing with Reba while being stuck in a trash can. Britt continues to be a shining star and a highlight of every show she's on. Also, very glad to see Anna Jay and Abaddon get an opportunity on Dynamite. For those who haven't seen Abaddon before, she had a very entertaining match with Cheetah on Dark a few months back. Worth checking out. She's a great signing for them for sure. 9 out of 10 show. He says, what's up with Cody's promo? Asking if he's even in the Elite or the Nightmare family and then rubbing his chest with four fingers. Hmm, something is brewing, I think. They're teasing stuff, so... Yeah, it's uh, 
Would it yeah. be with Tully and Sean Spears? Possible. Yeah. I mean, if the if you're going to eventually have Cody with guys, yeah, like Spears, FTR, there's all these options that you could do, and I think Tully would be a great centerpiece for that. That would make a lot of sense, actually, those four. Yeah. Alexander from Portland. One wrestling trope that I love that is rarely seen is when a wrestler makes a big debut and loses. So seeing Anna Jay lose to some zombie 3D woman was great, but following <laughs> it up with the Dark Order was even better. The Dark Order is feeling like a proper faction. The tag team match next week ought to be really fun. AEW has been doing tremendous in building up the tag division from multiple tag matches tag teams in the Dark Order to Janela and Sonny Kiss to the Super Bad Death Squad. It feels like the talent that was available during the original quarantine tapings are getting pushes, which gives the show a lot of continuity. While each show might not be great, they never feel like chores to get through. Six out of ten. Do you think at Fighter Fest it's too soon for Hangman and Omega to lose the tag titles? To the best friends? Um, they could do it. You know, it depends what really what they had planned for them for All Out. I mean, I'm still really enjoying the team. I think there's still a lot of steam to be had, but you know, will the lost for the best friends kill them? I I prefer to keep it with Omega and Page. I think they're such an awesome team together. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be flipping them onto best friends. I, I'd keep it going. I think best friends are good, but I don't think they're hot enough yet. You know, to kind of like take over that spot as like a league tag team to to make this division feel like it's a must see division. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to them eventually winning it, but I I think they they need to do a little bit more with the best friends first. We go to Jay from Colorado who says, "I just wanted to say how happy I am to see Abaddon as part of AEW." I've been watching her in Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling in Denver for a while now and thought she had a strong showing against Hikaru Shida in Dark back in March. I've seen her a dozen times, if not more, and I'm still extremely unsettled every time I see her. As a former cop, I've had the unfortunate experience of seeing my share of dead bodies. And as a film major, I've seen just about every makeup job to try to replicate the look of decay and liver mortis. And I've never seen one that I thought replicated it exactly, but she somehow mastered that. Again, it's unsettling. She's got the look, the character down. She's coming a long way in ring. I'm excited to see her future. Also, I just found out my Inner Circle Stadium Stampede Warrior shirt just shipped. I know no one in my small town will get the reference, but I'm going to wear this oh so proudly. (laughs) Rory from Poconos is our last one. Not their best show, but still a fun one. Appreciate AEW posting the dark results on the bottom ticker, showing once again that they listen to their fans. I'm trying to figure out how the Butcher and the Blade went from being S&M guys to being partners in their white clothing, to being painters in their white clothing. (laughs) Kenny Omega accidentally bumping heads with Dustin looked painful, but kudos to Dustin for being able to finish the match despite being knocked loopy. My main takeaway from this show, as mentioned by others, would be how great their tag division is. Thank you, Rory. And thank you, all of you, for your feedback to, yeah, an episode of Dynamite that maybe not top tier, but I think was still a pretty entertaining two hours. I thought so, too. Okay, before we get out of here. We have put off uh, talking about the penultimate edition of The Last Ride, The Battle Within. The finale will air this Sunday, and this episode that debuted this past weekend deals with the fallout from Crown Jewel in November of 2018 after the disastrous tag match with him and Kane against Hunter and Sean. And we kind of like are dealing with like this disaster of a match. Everyone calls it a train wreck. Train wreck. It sucks. And then we kind of go back in time to the origin of the Undertaker character with a lot of like 
on-set shots of him and Paul Bearer doing many of their vignettes. Uh, this was coupled with a, an interview with Paul Bearer, Bill Moody from 2012, and Bruce Pritchard, who served as the producer for a lot of these segments. And we got some rare Undertaker outtakes here. I really like seeing, you know, anytime they have like, you know, this sort of a blooper reel footage, especially for somebody as guarded with their character, especially at that point, really at any point, like The Undertaker, uh, this was one of the joys of seeing this, along with some of the footage of seeing him backstage with a lot of the talent um, during WrestleMania. I wouldn't say like there's a whole lot to the Crown Jewel fallout other than it's viewed universally as a disaster and that there's not even a question that he is not retiring off such a match like that. Yes. Yes. No. He, well, I mean, he it's 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 really like an endless cycle of like regardless of whether or not he has a good match or a bad match, he has some motivation to come back. So they do tackle StarCast. It's very brief, but they show like the screen grabs of him being advertised for StarCast. And The Undertaker explains that he did not realize it was connected to anything else. They never say AEW, but I was never going anywhere. And it explains, it shows a tweet, Undertaker and Kurt Ankle cancel StarCast appearances. But he did does note like a bit of a mini falling out with Vince McMahon where they didn't talk for a while, but then they smoothed things over and that led to Undertaker's new contract. Um, so this was kind of addressed, but I think this I was thought, more so lip service to say, hey, we covered StarCast. I mean, I thought they covered about as much of like the connection to AEW or at least like the rumors that T Undertaker would be somehow associated with AEW without specifically mentioning the letters AEW or saying all the wrestling, you know, he said like he alluded to rumors of him jumping to another company and basically answered a question as if, you know, that people were asking about AEW. Um, I, I mean, was there much more to the story that wasn't discussed? Like, was there a contract issue that uh, he hadn't signed and it took something like this to resign? Was that this whole period? I mean, I, I think I think you look at it that, you know, Undertaker was starting to do a lot more of these appearances. It certainly wasn't just StarCast he was doing. Like, he was doing, you know, he was supposed to go overseas to do uh, an Inside the Rope show with Kenny McIntosh. He did come up here to Niagara Falls to the comic convention and did a, did a, he, after the Goldberg match, he flew here to do the Niagara Falls comic convention right after. So he was being more active in doing all of this. Um you know, the the idea that he didn't know the, the connection of StarCast to AEW, I mean, that that's his story. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure there was more to this than they were going to uh, get into here. But this was covered in, what would you say, 60 seconds? Yeah. 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 It's pretty um, quick. I, I would love to know, like, what Conrad feels maybe about this section of, of the documentary, because he's always maintained that StarCast has... Well, obviously, has a connection to AEW, but he he, I believe, like he's always maintained that they're separate entities. I mean, and they are separate entities. Like it, this is not but like this... AEW run thing, but yeah. I think it's it's the idea that this is a Starcast is not running without an AEW event. That it's you know they're not just running this isolated on some random weekend. Like they are strategically yeah. running this in conjunction with AEW, but they are separate. 
Yeah, of course. But, you know, I'm curious to know what Conrad feels because this is a presentation on from from the WWE's part that is probably very wide reaching that basically is, insinuates that that connection is direct and, right. and that it's there. So I, I wonder how he would answer to it. But basically said, yeah, I wasn't going. And when they told me not to do it, uh, I didn't even know what I had signed up for. So I said no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was where they were, like Conrad has talked about, that they were trying to work out. And I think they even pitched the idea of uh, Vince McMahon coming to StarCast that they tried to pitch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who did they end up getting instead as like sort of a make good? Remember? I don't know if they got anyone as a make good. Huh. I, th- I think they just went on with like, yeah, you know, what, what they had. I don't think they got anybody. Right. But yeah, Taker got pulled. Kurt Angle got pulled. And that was that. Um, they go into WrestleMania 35 and Taker's not booked on the show, nor does he appear on the show. And he's there in, in New York, in New Jersey. And then he gets a text from Vince to do raw, but he didn't bring his gear. So this guy has to fly home from New York to Texas to get his gear to come back for raw on Monday. That's insane. That's nuts, dude. I hope he got use of that private jet, at least for something like that. That's um, yeah, that's like saying, "Hey, I forgot my um wallet at home," <laughs> and so you drive back home like five minutes to grab it. But instead, this was uh, like you're telling me in New York, we couldn't we couldn't find a duster and what a, like a singlet top and some leather pants for this guy. That's uh, impossible. Well, his size, like the man, he's a big man, you know. Yeah. I can understand the hat. The hat might be a, like uh, you got twenty four hours notice to find that hat, maybe. But, but it's this. It's everything. You know. It's like you have to make sure it's the perfect length of like you know. If anything looked wrong about that that thing, you know that it would come back to haunt them. Right? I literally had to look this up because if you if my life depended on it, I could not have remembered what Undertaker did on that show. Uh, I forgot too, but he came to choke slam Elias, and that was it. Um, yeah, you know, it made for like a nice little moment on the show, but yeah, hardly something that I think was all that memorable. And I, I do wonder if it was like, you know, they definitely needed a hook, but it would probably, I'm sure Taker himself like felt nice to feel needed because, man, that's the sense I got seeing this portion of the documentary. He was having a really, really, really rough time, like not doing anything at WrestleMania. And honestly, it's like you look at the man's career and you're like, Really? Like, you missing one WrestleMania, like, you, you feel this bad? Like, even after the terrible performances he had in Saudi Arabia, like, to feel, like, this upset as if, you know, he was a wrestler who was at the top in his prime being pulled from WrestleMania, um, to still feel that at this point, I honestly, I think tells you, like, how hard it is for this guy to step away. No, to to the point that I, I think it's, it's, it's like a sickness for, for him. Like, this is going to be a guy that leaves this industry kicking and screaming or, like, just physically cannot do it, which, I mean, he's near that point uh, physically. For sure, yeah. He So he sat down next to Vince and Gorilla to watch the show. Yeah, that's where that's where he watched it. Um, they, they go through, like, it's a really brief thing with Elias that he does on Raw, and then it's like, you know, with when... Everything with StarCast went down. I mean, that he gets the new deal, and they shoot the angle, and it's him and Goldberg at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia. And 
This is after Undertaker. We just see him around the arena, and Vince is letting this guy just like wait and wait and wait and wait. And just, man, there's a lot of instances in this documentary where it's it's hardly positioning this guy um, in a in a flattering le- like. Uh, but that's Vince, though. He's like he's he's needed for every decision in that company. You know, I'm just saying, like, here is this like revered legend that they have positioned here. Yeah. And they're just like he's showcased like he's like the latest NXT call up. Like, that's kind of the the level he's. Uh, presented at in some of these moments you know what i mean the uh, the meeting when him and michelle go to stanford and the dudes at the gym he makes them wait an hour yeah well maybe there's something to that but i mean taker to me didn't seem bothered by it he just he it just seemed like he was you know another soldier waiting for uh the general to be ready so we go through the goldberg match another disaster uh after goldberg spears into the post and his head's all busted open and Man, they show like the spots in the match here nearly kills Undertaker with this jackhammer. And it, this was a really scary match to watch. One where, I mean, this was, you know, the the rationale was, you know, Goldberg knocked himself out and it wasn't so much on Undertaker as it was like Goldberg had no business continuing this match after that spot, but it did. That really wasn't delved into here, which was to me an interesting conversation to have. But, um, you know, it's it's Taker who's like if you're looking at this from like an MMA or boxer, like this is like your latest loss in a row, but you're still going to be chasing that victory, and that's what he's doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, this match was like watching the the recap here. It it was worse than I actually remembered it. They don't sugarcoat this. Oh, like they no. don't try to hide things. Like it's design. Like this is a it's. It's awful. Like, it's terrible, and they don't skirt around that. And then, to me, that's one of the most refreshing things about this particular series is that it highlights the failings of performers within these matches rather than, you know, tries to cover them up. Or, sorry, showcases the... the, the, the sorry, yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was like um, a, a tombstone that went wrong. Of course, the, the, the jackhammer that went terribly wrong. And then probably some other in- another instance, too, that they, they highlighted. But uh, yeah, yet another bad performance. But the thing is, with this and with like, you know, Sean and, and Hunter and Kane, you can't necessarily point towards Taker as the person that was at the most fault here, you know, for these terrible things or for these bad matches. Like in here, it was Goldberg getting concussed. And in the other match, it was a combination of uh, Hunter uh, tearing, the, uh, what is it, his pack? Yep. And also... I guess Kane, his mask falling off and things like that. So there was still that, like, I'm sure there's that doubt within him where he says, oh, if only I could be facing somebody of a younger age or like somebody who was more capable, perhaps I could actually go out the way I want to. So he had already agreed to do extreme rules. And this is the one where, I mean, he's coming off this. He's contemplating calling that off. Like his, his back is all messed up from the Goldberg match and he's, uh, it seems to really be at a decision point here, but of course goes through with it and it's him and Roman Reigns against Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. And there's, there's a scene where he talks about that wrestling is the one area he's got all the answers to. He might not have all the answers as a husband or a father, but for this wrestling, he does. 
And Hunter talks about the addictive qualities of the industry if you enjoy it. Uh, Sean notes that there is a comfort with Groundhog Day as a wrestler. And any kind of addiction is a bad one. And they cut to uh, the, the ultimate one, Ric Flair, saying it's really hard to say goodbye. And Ric Flair coming off of his own 24 special about his uh, retirement match where I thought you, you saw a guy kind of go through very much the same thing. You know, people making like that retirement didn't seem to be fully his decision. No, and, he was he was kind of told like this is how we're ending your career. Yeah. And of course, he was incredibly emotional and had to be torn away from it. And Taker, for whatever reason, though, Vince has given him a great deal of leeway. I think partially, obviously, because he, he could use the guy for all these shows in Saudi Arabia and WrestleMania. But, you know, he's not stepped in and said, this is it for you. You're not coming back. So uh, there's th- there's a moment here where uh, Taker mentions that he told Sean, I should have left with you in 2010. Like, he's looking back like, man, what a... He really is – he l- looks with a lot of admiration at how Sean walked away, which probably weighs on him too, the fact that Sean came back for that crown jewel match. But you don't see Sean like really look at that match as uh, with any kind of the same, I've got to go redo that one. It's just, ah, match sucked, whatever. Like that, that guy has had a pretty healthy departure to life after wrestling, and now – you know, it serves in a coaching role, but you really don't get the sense like he has any of that itch to return. Like he he flipped that switch and that's a lot easier said than done. Right. Yeah, it's true. Whereas uh, Taker seems to uh, still be struggling. I mean, honestly, most of this like latter half of this particular episode really felt like it was a retread of all the prior episodes. And, and again, uh, it it's not even so much a criticism because it just tells you how much of a repeating cycle this has been for this guy over the past several years. You know, it's, he has a match, it's either good or if it's bad, he still wants to have some reason to to want to come back to do a better one next time. Yeah. Extreme rules goes very well. It's a very good match. Um, and afterwards he, the cameras catch him telling Vince that that's probably it. He doesn't think he can keep going his body isn't there anymore, and he's like, I don't want to catch you off guard here, but I'm going to think about this, but I think that's probably it. And Vince just kind of leaves it to whatever you decide, we'll follow, and we'll see what happens. And that's kind of Taker vocalizing, uh, like, this is this is maybe, I didn't envision it ending at extreme rules in a tag match, but man, after some of the losses I've had, I can at least walk away with a W here. And yeah, then it, then it's more discussion, like Sean explaining that there are more reasons to say yes than there are to say no in this industry. And Hunter says the loyalty is to the dragon you're chasing. And Taker says that Extreme Rules almost went too well. And I'm thinking I might have a few more left in me after this. And the closing shot is him and AJ Styles walking off in the distance. And... That's an interesting end to this that I'm sure most people like are going to look at that as, you know, they they know what is in store here. But I also feel like there is a certain level of viewing this guy as this guy's an addict that is just chasing that high. It just so happens oh. to be work related and with this you know, you are leaving on a pretty good note here and this guy still can't walk away. And I feel that 
this latest WrestleMania is another example of that, that if there's another match here, I think there's some people that are, are not going to have the same sympathy on this guy who has had the door opened to walk out on his terms in a pretty good spot. And he, he has not taken that exit. Absolutely not. I think, you know, like however big of a fan you might be of The Undertaker, this the release of this series completely changes the way we see his appearances from this point on. And, you know, you allude to them like, you allude to this being an addiction. It's exactly the way it's presented here. You have Sean, you have Hunter talking about, you know, the high of like uh, the crowd and everything. It is presented throughout this entire series as this man's unshakable addiction that has, you know, like seriously, like had big risks to his life and, you know, concerns for his family. So who, who um, can clearly like it's very evident through Michelle McCool, like what she goes through through all of this. I don't think is appreciated enough that like there it, it would be one thing if this guy was, you know, uh, a, a single guy or someone who, you know, he, he didn't have young kids. But I think that's that's a part of the equation, too, here that, you know, there is. There's a lot of respect people have for this guy, but there's also a, a certain level of of ego and selfishness in all of this as well. Yes. And, you know, it's definitely interesting. I mean, that conversation he had with Vince at the end seems to be like the most open he's been about just or the most closure. he It seems like he's he's felt about being ready to step away where he's saying I should probably leave. You know, I'm not feeling it anymore. And then Vince is more like, well, I'll follow your lead. And you certainly have to wonder, like, where Vince's mindset is, you know, in regards to allowing his good friend, loyal employee, Mark Calloway, to continue to perform. He has every right to be able to say, you're not wrestling anymore. I'm pulling you out. You're not going to do any more WrestleManias, no more Saudi Arabia shows, no more Extreme Rules, if he had that concern. At the same time, it's like... Which, which is what this guy probably needs. He needs oh, that yeah. decision to be taken away from him, because this is the end result of him being given that 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 leash to decide on his own you know at the same time of course there's an element of vince being able to use the undertaker as a headliner for these big shows but is there also an element of him saying my friend wants to do this so much who am i to take that happiness from him yeah ultimately listen i i don't put the is it's one thing if it's a case like an edge or a mcfoley where just physically you had to tell them it's done it's over um, this is someone that ultimately this is on, on his, it's for should him. It should it be on him though? Um, I, I would say certainly that, uh, I would say physically at this point, you should probably have pulled the plug on this guy, but that's the issue with pro wrestling that if you're cleared, um, you can, you can navigate a match in such a way that you can work around all these limitations. Um, you know, for, for his case, yeah, it, it, probably should be out of his hands because he has shown an inability to be able to make that that judgment call himself many times, probably over the past decade. See, uh, but but, uh, but I don't is, expect that. I don't expect that out of a Vince McMahon or a, a WWE. But the thing is, though, like he goes on to have a performance like he has at Extreme Rules where he says it probably went too well. And you understand why he says that, because he in a match like this proves that he could still do it and that Vince doesn't necessarily have you know, the ability to say you can't do this anymore because the guy still can clearly at least perform in some capacity. Vince McMahon is, is the house dealer. And this is the guy at the, at the fucking blackjack table. That's the gambling yep. addict. So he's going to keep throwing cards at this guy as long as he is willing to sit at the table. And I can't expect that the, 
the dealer is going to be thinking about this guy's mortgage payments. Well, the other question is, let's say if Vince didn't sign him to this contract and somehow Taker did end up in another company, could we have had Undertaker, if Vince isn't going to let him wrestle, well, then he'll wrestle for somebody else. I'm sure that was the thinking as well. And I think that that would be something that you could not discount. What happened with Ric Flair? Yeah. He went and wrestled somewhere else. And that's something that I'm sure he was aware of as well. And you're probably right that this is a guy that wants to retire on his terms. The problem is he can't define those terms. Is it a great match? Because you got one. You got one in Extreme Rules. That wasn't enough. It was too good. So what what do you want to retire on? A match that's not too good, but not too bad? It's impossible. You can't even define it. So it's... um, I would say, like, whatever happens on this episode on Sunday, whether it's it's a vague ending, whether it's a solid, that's it, I'm walking away, how could you possibly take that seriously? No, you can't at all. There's no way. The next Saudi Arabia show comes along, the the next, you know, WrestleMania comes along, and certainly it's... We saw this man retire in the middle of WrestleMania in the main event, and the guy still came back, so I agree, you can't take it seriously, but... What is your prediction, though, at the end of, of, of the final episode next on, on Sunday? Does he at least make an announcement, or do we not even get one? Um, I feel they're going to leave it open-ended. I, I think that's... I'm, I'm actually hoping they do, because I think that if there's anything uh, concrete stated, I think there's a great chance that it'll not age well. Uh, that would be my prediction, so... Yeah, I think so. I think we do get an announcement. You know, again, whether or not he follows up with it, will be a different question. But I think after all this hoopla, like building up to a retirement, and him having the match that he, well, technically the match that he has with AJ, I think we get the announcement. Well, it'll it'll certainly be a, a way to end this series then with something uh, newsworthy. I just, it's just so weird because the whole story of this documentary series has been this guy's inability to be decisive about anything that yeah. I, I don't know how you possibly take that seriously, but uh, people will treat it as, you know, concrete, but I won't. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll chat about the finale on Monday on rewind to raw. So people can uh, look forward to that. That's going to wrap things up. Thanks to everybody uh, for tuning in lengthy edition here of rewind to dynamite. We are going to be back Friday night. For all patrons, rewind a SmackDown live. We'll go through all the news and take your phone calls. So looking forward to that. For Way, I am John. Goodbye.